this week was October 31st, and you know that's a major celebration in our culture, particularly in suburban culture where I live. And, um, but, but you might not have known that it's also a major celebration for Christians. Did you know that? For believers, it's a major celebration because on October 31st of 1517, Martin Luther attached his 95 theses on the door of the college at Wittenberg. And from that day on, most scholars will tell you, a wildfire spread called today, we still call it the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation is a cataclysmic event that changed well, it changed our lives, whether you know it or not. You and I believe what we believe today because of what happened essentially on October 31st. So you could say, next Halloween, you can say Happy Reformation Day instead of Happy Halloween because it is a Reformation Day. Today, what I'd like to do is do a little church history. Uh, kind of get into a little teaching mode, if I can, and teach a little bit about church history, particularly Martin Luther and the Reformation, because the Protestant Reformation is important for what we believe. And then the second thing I want to do is talk about why is it important for what we believe? So then we need to add a little theology, particularly theology about the doctrine of justification. Ooh, I just dropped a big, heavy theological something on the floor, didn't I? <laughs> the doctrine of justification. Just in brief, as I say the word justification, go ahead and hear in your mind salvation, okay? And we'll all unpack it later. So today we're going to look at some history and some theology. History, some meat and potatoes, and theology, some collard greens, okay? We need our greens. <laughs> Brussels sprouts, maybe, all right? So let's do some history first off. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was known by most people, I think, um, as being um, a, um, well, just terrified of the justice and the wrath of God. He knew that God was out to get him, and that might be partly because of his relationship with his dad. He, he grew up in a home where his father was extremely abusive and extremely controlling, and he sent him to all these parochial schools. Um, he wanted him to become a lawyer. And so uh, Luther went to, um, got his BA in, in Latin and reason, and then he ended up going to law school. And it didn't take him very long um, to drop out of law school. He felt like law represented uncertainty, doesn't it? <laughs> law is just man-made, and it's always changing, and it didn't get him any closer to God. And so he decided to try a field that would get him more answers, something like philosophy. <laughs> that was funny, I thought. Um, so he studied philosophy and reason for about three or four years, I guess. He's studying philosophy at the University of Effort, and he quickly begins to realize, even though he loves Aristotle and loves talking about these things, that even philosophy and reason and logic doesn't answer the most important questions of life, doesn't tell us about God, and doesn't answer our questions about God's wrath and his judgment. So he started to look for God. And he tried to look for God in the Bible. Now, the famous story goes that one day he was on his way back to school um, on a horse. He's riding on horseback. And a storm came across and lightning struck, almost struck him, struck the ground right next to him. I don't know if you've ever been struck by lightning. Anyone? Where's Dennis? I'm sure Dennis has been struck by lightning. He seems to get hit by everything. No one? Okay. Um, have you ever been in a place where lightning struck probably near, like maybe 100 yards away or whatever? 
Doesn't it scare the you know what out of you? It's, I don't know how far away it was, but you could tell, you could feel it. It's a different thing altogether. And I can't imagine what it would be like to get struck right there. Luther was thrown off his horse. He and the horse are in the ditch. And he cries out, help me, help me, help me. Saint Anne, if you help me, I'll be a monk. And since he survived that, guess what happened? He became a monk. And within that month, he dropped out of law school, dropped out of, dropped out of philosophy school, sold his books, and joined an Augustan friary from the, from the great St. Augustine. His father, of course, was livid. What a waste of money and education to become a monk. And Luther determined at that point, if I'm going to be a monk, I'm going to be the best monk a monk can be. <laughs> I'm going to pray harder than any monk. I'm going to confess longer. I'm going to fast more. I'm gonna, I, I, if, if, if I can earn my salvation or my, my justification from God by being a monk, I'll be the best monk. In fact, the story goes that he did just that. You can imagine what it would be like to live in a monastery, maybe. I mean, I think it's pretty simple. You just, you're stuck there and you don't get to do anything but eat bread. What would it be like as a monk to have to confess to a father every 24 hours? What kind of confession would a monk make? <laughs> Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Last night I coveted Brother Bartholomew's loaf of bread. After I finished my loaf of bread, I looked upon Brother Bartholomew's bread, and I just couldn't help myself. I wanted it for myself. That's a sin, I know. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Last night I stayed up just a little bit longer than I should have passed lights out. I mean, what really can a monk in a monastery who's trapped and has no way to sin confess? So most monks would confess for like five minutes. <laughs> or less. <laughs> Luther, on the other hand, would confess his sins every 24 hours for hours, two, sometimes three hours, confessing the smallest, teeny, tiny little sin because he went to law school. He knew that God was just. He knew that he fell short of God's justice, and so he was frightened. He was afraid of God's justice. He confessed everything. In fact, the story goes that his confessing father said, why don't you go out and sin properly so then you can come in and confess properly? <laughs> Luther took this stuff very seriously. In fact, later on in his life, he said this, if anyone was going to make it to heaven through monkery, it was I, because <laughs> I was doing the best. He also said, when I was in the monkhood, monkery place, I lost touch with Christ, the Savior and Comforter, and I made of him the jailer and the hangman of my poor soul. I wonder how many people in the world today think of God just like that. He's out to get you. He's watching. He's making a list, and he's checking it twice. I wonder how many Christians think of God in that way. Luther was a Catholic. He was a monk. And he thought of God in that way. And so Martin later became ordained as a priest. And still, he was so afraid of God that even in his ordination communion, he lifted up the cup of Christ's blood in the Catholic Church. Not wine, not grape juice, but literally Christ's blood. <laughs> and he's shaking so much that he spilt it all over the table. That's how afraid of God's justice and wrath Luther was. Well, he didn't make it as a priest very long. <laughs> and so they called him to, 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 to teach at a brand new university called the University of Wittenberg. Or Wittenberg in English. <laughs> I always say Wittenberg. 
he was teaching there, and he received a few more bachelor degrees, and he even got a doctorate in theology, and he's known at that university as the doctor of Bible, the doctor of theology. And as the doctor of theology, he began to teach and therefore study, because you know when you teach, you study, right? In fact, I have an old mentor who would say, you only have to be one day ahead of your class. <laughs> That's all you got to do, just study and then teach Romans. And it was there that Luther had, I would say, a conversion. He was converted by the book of Romans. Let me show you the verse that he read that changed his life and yours. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written. And he's quoting the Old Testament here, Paul is. The righteous shall live by faith. And Luther said, that sounds quite different than what I hear amongst my Catholic theological friends. Because Catholic theology at that time said this, that faith alone was not enough. Listen to this. Faith alone could not justify man. Instead, justification depends on such faith or a kind of faith that is active in charity and good works. And incidentally, the benefits of good works could be obtained by donating money to the church. <laughs> Interesting. Hey, just real quickly, before we jump into theology, can I just comment on the highlighted section of that? Justification or salvation depends on the kind of faith that is active with charity and good works. Doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, this is Catholic theology of Luther's day in the 1500s, but I would suggest that it sounds a lot like modern evangelicalism today. That sounds to me like what I've heard growing up most of my life. It's not just faith, but a certain kind of faith that you can prove by having good works, by having good things, by having evidence. And Luther says, that's not what Romans teaches. So he began to really judge the church and he got very, very critical of the church. And he created a two-line word called sola fide, which is faith alone, to clearly communicate. Listen, it's faith alone. It's not giving money. It's not doing certain things. It's faith alone. In fact, he got really critical of the church. I mean, because not just politically and socially. I mean, politically... It was a mess. I don't know if you know this or not, but at one point there were actually four popes. You know there's only supposed to be one pope, right? There were four popes and they were all saying, no, I'm the pope. And it was like, no, I'm the pope. He's like, no, 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 I'm the pope. No, 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 this one's the pope. And like, who's the pope? And everyone was laughing at the church. But Luther was concerned theologically. They've missed the point of the gospel, which is justification. The one and firm rock, which we call the doctrine of justification, is the chief article of the whole Christian doctrine. Once we get confused with that, the faith alone stuff, the rest is, you might as well throw the rest away. He said this, forgiveness of sins is not something we earn for ourselves by our own good deeds. Rather, it is a free gift which God gives to us as a result of all that Jesus did for us as our Savior. Salvation, therefore, is completely and only by faith in Jesus. Sola fide, faith alone. Someone give me an amen if you believe that. Okay, thank you. So he started to get really upset. 
losing his noodles, if you will, with this thing called indulgences. You've probably heard this before, but let me unpack it a little bit. The Pope in Rome wanted to remodel or refurbish the famous St. Peter's Basilica. And in order to remodel a big old church like that, you need a bunch of big old money. And so he hired or commissioned a Dominican friar by the name of John Tetzel to, to raise money to remodel that church. And the way he raised money was by selling these little pieces of paper called indulgences. Listen to how funny this is. An indulgence is a piece of paper that you buy with money. You give them money. They write the piece of paper, stamp it. It's certified. And now with this piece of paper, you've been guaranteed not to go to purgatory. You'll go straight to heaven. Do you know what? You know, in the Catholic Church at this time, you would pray, you would fast, you would Hail Mary, you would do all those things in order to cut down hours and months and years in purgatory. But now, with the right amount of money, you can purchase your way out of purgatory. More to that, if you have dead grandparents or aunts or uncles, you could buy their way out of purgatory. They're already suffering in purgatory now. Just give us the money and we'll get them into heaven today. How could you leave without signing on the, you know? In fact, the motto of that time was, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory into heaven springs. This is unbelievably redonkulous. You know what I'm saying? How could this even be possible? So as you can imagine, Luther began to lose his noodles. He became very rebellious against the church. In fact, I want to show you a clip of Luther um, kind of comedically criticizing the church. And in this clip, you'll see John Tetzel. He's at the balcony. You'll, see, you'll know it's him because he doesn't look happy with what Luther's saying. Let's watch this. Well, God once spoke through the mouth of an ass and perhaps he's about to do so. But I'll tell you straight what I think. Who here has been to Rome? Did you buy an indulgence? No. I did. For a silver florin, I freed my grandfather from purgatory. For twice that, I could have sprung grandma and Uncle Marcus too, but, but I didn't have the funds so they had to stay in the hot place. As for myself, the priests assured me that by gazing at sacred relics, I could cut down my time in purgatory. Luckily for me, Rome had enough nails from the Holy Cross to shoe every horse in Saxony. <laughs> but there are relics elsewhere in Christendom. Eighteen out of twelve apostles are buried in Spain. <laughs> and yet here in Wittenberg, we have the pick of the crop. Bread from the Last Supper. Milk from the Virgin's breast. A thorn that pierced Christ's brow on Calvary and 19,000 other bits of sacred bone. All authenticated sacred relics. Even John Tetzel himself. Inquisitor of Poland and Saxony. Seller of indulgences extraordinary. Connoisseur of relics. Envies are collection. <laughs> to possess them for a single night, he would willingly surrender five years of his earthly life. <laughs> or 500 years in purgatory. Well, eventually, um, Luther just had enough. 
and he nailed or penned uh, what's known as the 95 Theses, entitled 95 Theses on the Power and Efficacy or Validity of Indulgences. And now what, what you do at, at, at a university setting, this is common, it's like a bulletin board. You'd stick it on the bulletin and you'd say, here's what I think. You know, it's like Jerry Maguire. I'm going to email it to everybody. Here's my, you know, my vision. And he's sharing it with the whole university. Here's my vision. What do you think? Let's discuss this. And to make a long story short, I'll just tell you that that ended up in the hands of the Pope. And the Pope ended up, after a long bit of drama, telling Luther, you either recant all that you've said or you will be excommunicated. Which means you no longer can preach at the, sem at the seminary, you no longer can be in the church, and you're going to hell. And Luther, of course, decided on the latter. He's going to recant. And let me just show you one more clip of Luther his, his famous words Since when he recanted. Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot. And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Well, um, at that point, one of Luther's dear friends kidnapped him because of fear of his life, took him to a place where he hid out for several years, and then he translated the Latin Bible into the, the, the language of that time and that day, which was German. And so he translated the New Testament in a way that people could read it. Read for yourself what the Bible says. And he was passionate about the doctrine of justification, this central doctrine that if we miss it, we miss it all. And eventually they wrote, the Protestant reformers wrote a document called the Augsburg Confession, which was predominantly all about faith alone and bishops and priests began to sign that and become Protestants and that is the Protestant reformation of the church. The church was completely reformed then, a new kind of a thing and, and today we can celebrate that because tell me if you believe me, faith alone is the doctrine of justification, amen? Okay, but I mentioned earlier that we still get confused by that. It's still the doctrine of justification with all that the reformers did to make it simple, faith sola fides. We still, it, well, it's a lost and controversial and confusing concept. So what I'd like to do now is move away from the meat and potatoes and let's, let's get some greens. Let's talk about the doctrine of justification. And here's the, the passage. Well, here's, let me real quickly just set the stage by getting a little controversial with you. With you. Here's one of Martin Luther's quotes. I'm going to read it. Think about what he says and think about whether or not you like what he says. <laughs> Listen. Faith is not enough, they say. You must not do good works. You must be pious to be saved. 
They think that when you hear the gospel, you start working, creating by your own strength a thankful heart which says, I believe. That's what they think true faith is. But because this is a human idea or a dream, the heart never learns anything from it. So it does nothing, and reform doesn't come from this kind of faith either. Instead, faith is God's work in us that changes us and gives us new birth from God. Hmm. If we had time, I would circle up and discuss that. What does that mean? What, what is Luther saying? He's, he's saying that we don't need the kind of faith that has got works behind it because that kind of faith doesn't change us. The kind of faith we need is the faith that comes from God, which rebirths us. Let's look at Romans chapter 3. I want to unpack this. I want to spend some time doing some exegesis. Let's just go verse by verse, word by word, and unpack this so we can see what it is. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says this. I'm going to read it really quickly. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, that is, God's righteousness, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Let's back up. But now, what does that mean? It means all of a sudden, there is something completely new on the horizon, otherworldly, something that you've never seen before. No religion, no philosophical or social system has ever seen anything like this. It is utterly and completely different. When you see those words, but now, that's what you should hear. Something completely different is here, is revealed, is here. And that thing is apart from the law which means separated from the law, which means not underneath some law. It's, sep- it's, a, it's over here. Law is over here. This new thing that's coming but now is completely different than the law. You're no longer underneath a heavy burden of do's and don'ts. It's a new thing on the horizon, a new thing on the horizon. And what is it? It's righteousness. That's what's being revealed. Righteousness. What is righteousness? I have to unpack that, I think, because when we hear that word, we might feel guilty (laughs) or we might think things. Might not like that word very much. Righteousness is, Timothy Keller says, a validating performance record for opening doors. I like the way Keller puts things. They're word pictures. Righteousness is a validating performance record for opening doors. What does that mean? It's a validating performance record if you wanted to get a job, you'll put together a resume, right? We all do this, don't we? And we stuff it. <laughs> Here's my resume. It's a validating performance record. It shows you what I've done and what I'm good at and where I've been and what kind of people I've worked for and what accomplishments I can accomplish. It's a validating performance record that opens doors. By giving someone a resume, you're saying, look, I'm worthy of this job. I'm right. I'm a right person for this job. I'm righteous. You should hire me. If you want to go to college or get a master's degree, you have to produce a validating performance record of an educational record. Here's where I've studied. Here are the GPA that I have. Here's the mentors that mentored me, the professors that taught me, the theses that I've written. Here's my performance record, and therefore I'm worthy to be in your school. I'm right. I'm the right student for this place. You should accept me. And because all of life is like that, 
If you want to drive, you have to have a driver's license. If you want to pass this line, you have to have a passport that validates that you can come here. All of life is about righteousness. It really is. All of life is about a validating performance record. And because of that, every culture, every religion, every social philosophical system in the universe, or at least in the world that I know of, believes the same is true for God. That in order to get in, we have to have righteousness, which is a validating performance record. So we have to have some sort of moral record that says, look, here's the things that I stopped doing, and here's the things that I started doing. I stopped listening to 102.7, and now I listen to 99.7, you know, whatever. <laughs> we all think that God wants us to have a validating performance record, and that's called righteousness. But there's a new kind of thing here. But now a new thing has come, and it's separate from performance. It's separate from law, and it's righteousness. And not just righteousness, but God's righteousness. That is God's righteousness. God's resume is better than yours. <laughs> God's performance record is better than yours. And this new thing that has been revealed is God's resume, and it's given to you. Perfect righteousness. Who is right for the job? Who's right for heaven? Who's fit for heaven? God is. If you want heaven, you need God's resume. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, in order to enter into the kingdom of God, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. Can you imagine what a fisherman thought when Jesus said that? How in the world can my righteousness surpass a Pharisee's? I can't even get to a Pharisee's righteousness. And then at the end of that chapter, he says, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How in the world can I be perfect? Because a new thing has come. A new thing has come. And it's a validating performance record. It's a perfect validating performance record. And guess how you get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone. Just have faith and you get a validating performance record. And in case you're tempted, like some, to redefine faith to mean more than it does, <laughs> Paul goes on to say what faith is to all who believe. That's what faith is, belief. Simply believe is what the Bible says. Simply trust in me, Jesus says. I could put it in Jesus' red letters. Whoever believes in me shall have, what is it? Everlasting life. Anyone who believes in me shall have everlasting life. That is what salvation is. It comes to, I mean, righteousness comes to us through faith in Jesus by believing. But the, the verse goes on. He reminds us, for all of us have fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. Luther knew that. Luther knew he fell short. You and I know we fall short. Hey, can I just be honest with you? I fall so short. I'm a sinner. Doesn't matter that I'm a pastor doesn't matter that I went to school and got some degree. I am a sinner. And I'm never going to lie to you about that. Paul reminds us, listen, all of us have fallen short. Even the Pope. Even Luther. Luther said, I'm more afraid of myself than I am of the Pope. Because I have the Pope living in me, and it's called capital S-E-L-F. Self. I'm afraid of myself. We've all sinned. And so what we need, here's the good news. But those people who have sinned are justified Freely. <laughs> 
This is why I titled this sermon, Free Justification, because it's free justification to all who believe. Free justification to all. Can I just tell you that when the Bible says free, it means it? You know, in America, when someone says free, they don't mean it, right? There's always something behind it. There's always some back taxes that you forgot about. You know, there's always some fine print. But when the Bible says free, it means free. But what's justification? That's the big word. Well, if I can unpack that just real quickly, I'll I'll make it real easy. In Greek, in this text, it is the same word for the Greek word that was used for righteousness. So you could say free righteousness, To all who believe. It's the same word. Justification is righteousness. If you have the performance record that says you're right, then you get to go into heaven. See, it's not forgiveness. I'm going to try this one more time. Raise your hand if when you heard this, you were thinking in your head, God forgave me. Raise your hand if you were thinking that. Thanks, Carol. Thank you. It's not forgiveness. It's more than forgiveness. Here's what Keller says. It's infinitely more than forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness is a negative term. Have you ever thought about it that way? It's a, it seems like a positive term. You know, I'd like to be forgiven. But it's a negative term because if I forgive you, I look good and you look bad. Right? <laughs> hey, forgiveness sounds like, all right, you're forgiven. You can go. You, you can be let off of your hook. That's negative. Justification on the other side is positive. Justification says, I'm bestowing upon you all the rights and the privileges of someone who is right. A friend of mine just told me last night, she said, I was always taught justification should sound like this, just as if you've never sinned. Get it? Justification, just as if you've never have sinned. It's, it's not that you've been forgiven, that's negative. It's as if you never did sin. And you've been given all the rights and all the privileges of someone who's never, ever sinned. Someone who has a perfect performance record. Raise your hand if you want to be justified. You want a perfect performance record just as if you've never have sinned. That is better news, brothers and sisters, amen, than you've been forgiven. The way Keller says it, and he's good with words, forgiveness is you may go, you've been let off your penalty, But justification is you may come because you are right. You are fit for this place. You are welcome into my love and my presence. And did you remember when I told you that this justification is free to all who believe? Okay, so there's the exegesis. Luther was passionate about this. In fact, he was so passionate, he had to to almost say it too hard, too much. Because people naturally want to say, but I have to do something. And he would say things like this. He would say, be a sinner and sin strongly, but more strongly have faith and rejoice in Christ. That's pretty hard, isn't it? That's how much he was passionate about the doctrine of justification. Look, sin, okay? Then trust and have faith that you've been justified. I have a friend, I posted this picture on Facebook this week. She said, I'm making that my wall post. (laughs) It's kind of rebellious, isn't it? He would say things like this. Faith must trample underfoot all reason, sense, and understanding. Why? Because it's just craziness. You're just going to give me free justification and I don't have to do nothing? That's crazy. 
you have to trample it under any thought, reason, or understanding because it's crazy. It's crazy. It kind of sounds like something Paul said, doesn't it? He says, I'm foolish. I'm a madman to talk this way, to boast in my own works, is what he says. It's, it's, we are saved by grace through faith, and this is of no work of ourselves so that no one can boast. It's foolishness. Where sin abounds or increases, grace increases all the more. That's crazy talk. Crazy. That's why one author said this. Let it be counted folly or frenzy or whatever. It is our wisdom and our comfort. We care for no knowledge in the world but this, that man has sinned and God has suffered and that God has made himself the sin of men and that men are made unbelievable, the righteousness of God. Call it frenzy or foolishness or madness or folly or whatever. It's unbelievably crazy. It's kind of scary too, isn't it? You know why it's scary? Because preacher... If you keep preaching like that, people are going to go out there and start sinning. People are going to go out there and take advantage of God's grace. That's easy believism that I hear you preaching there, preacher. Can I say it's not so easy to believe? I can prove that. And here's the question I ask. Why is that worse than trying to earn it? Think about that. In human life, we always swing on a pendulum. The middle is where we want to be, but we always swing way over here. Throw the baby out with the bathwater, whatever cliche you want to use. And so faith, and faith alone is the plumb line. But we may swing this way and say, well, then I can go on sinning. It's called licentiousness or antinomialism. We, we, we're against the law. No law. I get to do what I want. I'm a free bird. And then with the other, the other pendulum swing is to come way over here and try real hard to prove that we're saved by listening to 99.1. Tithing 10% of our net, not our gross. Well, you know, if someone tithes of their gross, are they less spiritual than their net? No, because the New Testament guy says, well, the Bible doesn't even say 10%. It says give generously. I give 30%. And it doesn't matter if it's net and gross because I give 30%. And how many good things do you have to do that actually outweighs the bad things that you're thinking in your brain and the words that you say about me behind my back? You know what I'm saying? Which is worse, to swing over here and take advantage of grace or to swing over here and prove that you've earned it? Personally, for me, I think these guys are worse than these guys. But honestly, they're both heretics. I heard someone say once this. If what you say is true then I have no incentive for living a good life. Raise your hand if you were thinking that at all during this sermon. Since you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to assume all of you were because that's the natural human tendency. That's why Paul says, some may say, if that is the truth, then I should go on sinning. So you might be, if I'm preaching the gospel like Paul preaches the gospel, you should be thinking, if that's true, then I have no incentive to live a good life. But let me tell you what that means. And I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. I'm not going to say what everyone else says. I'm going to say something different. But now, something different. I'm going to say, when you say that, that's fear. You're afraid of faith. You're afraid of the gospel. If you say, if that's true, then I have no incentive to live a good life, then you've just proved to all of us that you're afraid. And that the only reason why you would live a good life is because you're afraid that if you don't, you're not going to go to heaven. And therefore, you don't have faith. 
you have fear. Does that make sense? I'll explain it a little bit deeper. What happens if you remove the fear and therefore the incentive to live a good life? If I said to you, it doesn't matter what grades you make, it doesn't matter what sins you've done, it doesn't matter whose bed your boot's been under, it doesn't matter. You're getting in no matter what because Jesus has got your back. If I said that, I've removed the fear and you can do what you want because you're getting in no matter what. If I remove the fear and now you have no incentive, you've just proven that your only incentive was fear. That you were only doing good things because you were really selfish. Does that make sense? But if I remove the fear and I give you faith and then just these good things come, then you weren't doing them for the fear. You were just doing them because of who you are. God loves me and I want to be like God. I want to love. God gave me. I want to be like God and give. And you're not doing it to prove or to earn anything. You're doing it simply because you are. Do you see how that works? It's a fearless faith. I'm willing to bet that most of us don't have fearless faith. And the reason why is because we wear it. We put a mask on. We come to church. I'm good. You're good. Let's get out of here and go to lunch. Am I right? I am right because I've grown up in the church and I'm sick of it. People wear masks, they're perfect, they're beautiful, and then six weeks later they're divorced and they're, they're in jail. It happens, I've been in the church my whole life, it happens all the time. Pastors commit adultery and run off with the treasurer box. Happens all the time. Listen, you are a sinner and I'm not going to judge you for that. Therefore, don't judge me for my sin. And I'm not trying to prove to you that I'm good because as soon as I try to prove to you that I'm good, I'm living out of selfishness, not faith. And I don't want you to prove to me that you're good because you're not. <laughs> and the, moment, the minute you think you are is the minute that you're clearly selfish. Keller says, if you think your good deeds are good, they're not. <laughs> and if you think your good deeds are not good, well, they might just begin to be. <laughs> it's, a, it's tricky, isn't it? That's why Luther was passionate about it. And he says, I'm not even going to let the window, much less the door, open up to this heresy of you telling me that I have to have certain works. It's a fearless faith, this kind of fearless faith. So fearless that you would say this. Here's Martin Luther. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that you, that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Your faith is a living, daring kind of a faith that you're so sure I'm saved by grace, not by anything I've done or anything I haven't done. I'm saved by grace, and I'm so sure of it. I'm banking on it a thousand times. Can I just tell you, I'm banking on it. If I get to heaven and Jesus says, why should I let you in? I'm going to say, you shouldn't, but you're graceful. You're merciful, and Jesus paid it all. And if that's not going to get me in, then ain't nothing getting me in. I'm, I'm banking my life on it every day. And if I wasn't, then I'd be trying to work it out with proof, with a resume. In an article he wrote, or a paper he wrote called The Treatise on Good Works, 
By the way, since this was written in 1520, it's free. You can download it now. <laughs> There's no, no one gets money for it now. You can download it on a PDF, put it on your tablet, put it on your computer. I encourage you to do it. It's not hard to read. It's translated into English for your ears and your eyes. Listen to what he says. You are not to seek heaven with any kind of works, but only to do the works freely. This is so good. I love this. Don't seek heaven with works. Just do those works freely. Come on, stop it. Then the result, which is eternal life, will just come of itself without your seeking. For if, here's how passionate he is about faith alone. For if I should see heaven standing open and could merit it by picking up a straw, I would not do it. Let me, let me unpack that. If I woke up one morning and I looked up beside my bed and there was a door there, like a, like a, a dream-like door, and there was heaven and a gate and St. Peter, because St. Peter, for some reason, is always standing at the gate. I don't know why. But if St. Peter was standing at the gate and he said, come on in. All you got to do is pick up that straw and you can come in. Let's just be honest. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? I don't have to quit smoking. I don't have to quit chewing. I don't have to quit going with girls who are doing. You know what I mean? I can just pick up that straw and get on in. Sounds tempting. I mean, it doesn't even sound tipping, tempting. Sounds like a no-brainer. Shoot, yeah, I pick up straws all day. I would not do it, he says, lest I might say, behold, I've earned it. No, no, no. Not to my deservings, but to God be the glory who has given me his son to abolish sin and hell for me. He says, I would never do anything to undercut what Jesus has already done for me. If I could pick up that straw and it would get me in, picking up that straw would undercut what Jesus did. And let me tell you what Jesus did. He died on a cross for our sin so that he would become sin and that we would become right just as if the first and the highest and the most precious of all good works is faith in Christ Luther says as he says when the Jews ask him that is Jesus what shall we do that we may work the works of God this is found in John 6 Jesus answered, this is the work of God. You want works? I'll give you works. That you believe on him who God sent. The greatest work is just to believe. The rest is up to him. So if you're here this morning and you've not accepted Jesus as your savior, if you've not been justified, if you've not been given right standing, I would like to invite you by telling you it's free and there's no attachments. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. It's free. He loves you so much. He wants to say, I'll take your wickedness and I'll give you my righteousness. And all you have to do is believe that. That sounds too simple, doesn't it? No, all you have to do is believe it. Don't get trapped. It's so simple, but yet we always want to complicate it. So let me simplify it for you. I'm going to share the gospel in one word. How's that? Can't get, can't get any simpler than that. One word. Here's the gospel in one word. Jesus. Acts 5 says, there is no name under heaven by which we are saved. All you need is Jesus' name. Just say Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus. Oh, come on. Jesus. If all you've got is that, well, you got something. <laughs> all you need is Jesus. One word gospel for you. How about two? Christ alone. That's a good one, isn't it? In Christ alone, I place my trust. Really, essentially, that's the same as number one. 
Number one is just the word Jesus. Number two is just the word Jesus and alone. Number one was Jesus alone, so it's really the same thing. It's just Christ alone. Nothing else. Nothing you can do. Nothing I can do. No paper you can buy. No church you can attend. No money you can give. Just Christ alone. How about three words? None but Jesus. This was Charles Haddon Spurgeon's favorite line. None but Jesus. None but Jesus. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is none but Jesus. Can I illustrate that for you? Heard it illustrated like this once. The best way I've ever heard the gospel. Faith is you're running along the side of a cliff, like that cliff that we saw a picture of, and you fall. And as you are falling, you're looking for something to grab a hold of, aren't you? And you happen to grasp a hold of a root that's sticking off the sides of that cliff. And you're hanging on to that root, and it's holding you up. Somehow you had enough belief that that root might hold you, and so you grabbed it. Your faith is not in your faith of that root. Your faith is in the root. In other words, you're not saying, as long as I believe that this root will hold me up, it will hold me up. Mm, I'm believing it. (laughs) Your faith is just in the root itself. It's just Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing you can even do. You can't even like think harder about it. Just trust him. Just reach out and grab him. He'll t- he can handle it. <laughs> How about four words? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hmm. Hey, can I just tell you that that comes from the book of James? For those of you theological ones in the room might be saying, but this sounds different than the book of James. Well, that's in James. <laughs> I'll admit it does sound different than James, but James doesn't contradict. I know he doesn't. That's found in James chapter 3. And in James chapter 5, James says, God is mercy. All right, how about five words? Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know whose favorite that one was? Paul's. The Apostle Paul's, that is. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wisdom to those of us who are saved and foolishness to those who are not. And then here, I like this one too. Saved by Christ, kept by Christ. Six words. I think the whole argument of this whole sermon is most of us might believe the first three words of that sentence. But I'm beginning to think that most of us don't believe in the last three words of that sentence. Like we actually think that we have to prove that we're saved by Christ. We have to do something. So if you're here this morning, can I encourage you? Reach out, grab the twig. (laughs) It's free, and it's enough. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm walking along this place, talking about deep, heavy theological truths like I really know what they mean, and I don't. I have no earthly idea how it is that you could save a wretch like me. I have no earthly idea how it is that you could save me, and not only that, but give me complete, perfect righteousness. It should humble me daily, should humble us daily. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I take advantage of your grace. I confess that I try to prove myself. I confess that I try to justify my sin and justify my salvation all the time. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll forgive me. I pray, Lord, that you'll forgive us. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will come inside of our hearts and help us to truly grasp the gospel May we truly know that it's just Jesus. And it's not what I do or what I don't do, and it's not what I don't do or I do do. It is Jesus. And if we can just look at Jesus and love Jesus, I'm confident the rest 
will be history. I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that's maybe just kind of at the edge, maybe they've seen you as the jailer of their soul, the, the hangman of their soul. Maybe, Lord, today they've heard the truth that you love them as much that you would give your life so that they would have justification. And I pray, Lord, that even today they will receive the free justification that you offer to all who believe. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.